News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 176 of the Luke Messias Show. Today, we're going to be talking about the Texas Freedom Caucus and some necessary changes I think need to be considered. Uh, The reason we're talking about this is because Texas grassroots conservatives care about the direction of the Texas legislature. And within the Texas legislature, there's one group in particular who has said that its goal is to amplify the voice of the grassroots. So we're going to have a conversation about the Texas Freedom Caucus and some important changes to be thinking about as we prepare for the next legislative session. Um, Before that, we're going to talk about Greg Abbott's recent uh, kind of-ish declaration of an invasion and the policy implications, John Cornyn's plummeting poll numbers, and then we're going to get into a conversation. I want to preface the Freedom Caucus conversation with kind of uh, some things to understand. First and foremost, um, when we have these discussions, it's important to kind of recognize what a caucus is. And ultimately, um, you know, a caucus is, in fact, I'll just read it here, a conference of members of a legislative body who belong to a particular party or faction. So various caucuses are created, and then those caucuses tend to group together and then say, okay, we as a caucus, we are a faction. And so uh, once you associate with that faction, actions that one member takes, another member takes, uh, can be construed as part of the entire caucus's action. I want to try to differentiate between that, meaning There's individual actions that individual caucus members are taking. We're going to try to focus on how the caucus may have been used in the past against the grassroots and ways to prevent that from happening in the future. Also really important to kind of understand, this is not an attack on each and every member of the Texas Freedom Caucus. I think there are many members of the Texas Freedom Caucus who have advocated staunchly for conservative policy and for conservative candidates to win in this election. In fact, in the coming weeks, I might do it next week. It might be an episode coming in the next month or so. It just depends on how long. But I sat down and did some research that I think very clearly delineates uh, the lines to show that both the Texas House and the Texas Senate are going to be more conservative just from a makeup of the body. And I went each district by district, one to 150 down the Texas House and all of the Texas senators. And so we're going to be bringing that information to you here. And I do think that it'll be helpful to understand that both the Texas Senate has gotten significantly more conservative and the Texas House has gotten more conservative. And some of that has been due to massive involvement, especially of Representative Mays Middleton, who is the chairman of the Texas Freedom Caucus. So before we have this conversation, I just want to make sure that no one uses some of the things we talk about today to somehow say that this individual group of lawmakers is somehow in no way advancing conservative issues, policies, or anything else. Matt Schaefer carried constitutional carry last session. Steve Toth worked a lot on the critical race theory uh, legislation and and passed the initial bill and there when there was follow-up legislation. And um, so all that to be said, um, this is not an individual attack on them. I think that I have a pretty good relationship with a majority of the caucus, I would say. And hopefully this episode in no way affects that. If it does, it, it would be an unfortunate uh, set of events. But I think that if we as conservatives in Texas can't have an honest conversation about how different groups are used by establishment forces, uh, then we're going to have a really hard time 
becoming better and growing and learning from the past as we chart a course to the future. So that being said, let me talk very quickly about one thing that really ticks me off, which is the coverage of Senator John Cornyn and his betrayal of Texas gun owners. So John Cornyn decides to get involved heavily and help Joe Biden get a legislative win while we're in a place with a president of record low approval ratings and the Republicans are looking fantastic in November. And at the same time, this is bad policy that the Democrat Party supports and that the NRA and every single gun group opposes. And let's just be clear. The NRA endorsed Harry Reid for re-election in Nevada. So if the NRA is actually saying a policy is bad, you know it's really bad for gun owners. And even they oppose John Cornyn's actions, but he did it anyways. And he has for a long time said that he supports some of these gun control measures, and he came out and did that. But here's the funny thing. You'll see this Whenever you have a Republican lawmaker who sells out, the media will do their best to try to cover for him. And the Houston Chronicle took no exception for this uh, situation. They wrote a, a uh, headline on June 23rd that says, gun bill hasn't hurt Cornyn's popularity despite jeers at the GOP convention. Poll fines. Now, it was a joke. So their whole point is, hey, John Cornyn might have been booed at his Republican state convention, which I talked about on this program. But- don't worry about it. He's still really popular because those are just some crazy people at the Republican Party. They're the only ones who don't like John Cornyn. Now, the maliciousness of that article and the headline was that the poll that was conducted was conducted before the deal was even rolled out. And it was also conducted before the deal was voted on. And so they have this poll that says, oh, well, People are fine with it. And it just because it was getting discussed in the media, but not nearly to the extent. So the Texas Politics Project recently released its poll, which was conducted after the aftermath of all of Cornyn's betrayal, and it had been fully brought to light. And here's what it showed. Greg Abbott has 43% of voters, and this is voters across the entire state. So this isn't just Republican voters, to be clear, but voters across the state 43% said they approve of Greg Abbott, 46% disapprove. Dan Patrick had, you know, his approval rating 35-40, Ken Paxson 34-39. Now, I will tell you this, I would say that this is a poll done by the University of Texas and Texas Politics Project, so it has a slightly left bent to it. Okay, the the group of people that they are polling is going to be less uh accurate to actual Texas, meaning that this poll, if it was just those who voted in November, um, would probably more accurately show that some of those people actually have a slightly um, positive approval. It is important for conservatives to remember that Texas is still not a 70% red state. So our politicians, if they are doing the right thing for us, they shouldn't be massively popular in a state that is not governed, you know, doesn't have 75% agreement on all these conservative policies. But here's where we get to John Cornyn, who has a negative 26% approval rating. And I will tell you, because um, I'm aware of other polling that is also being done right now as well, that John Cornyn, his numbers are suffering because Democrats don't like him still, which is a good just reminder, if you sell out your own party, it still doesn't mean the other party accepts you with open arms, but Republicans are sick and tired of being sold out. And that's what John Cornyn did. So he's now at a negative 26%, only one in four Texans even approve of the job he's doing as their U.S. Senator. Again, it's why you should not listen 
to the headlines that are often uh, given by legacy media outlets who have an agenda they are trying to drive as aggressively as possible. La- secondarily, before we get to the Freedom Caucus, uh, we're just going to talk about the fact that Greg Abbott came out. And, and just to preface this, the Republican Party of Texas has been asking for an invasion. Uh, Dan Patrick has been asking for us to declare an invasion. Conservatives across the entire state have been asking for us to declare an invasion of the Texas border and secure the border. We can do it. We can go down there and we can stop the overflowing, the flooding and invasion of our state being done by illegals who are coming across to the tune of hundreds of thousands of people in any given 30-day period of time. And so a lot of us are saying, declare an invasion and stop letting these people come into your state. The federal government is letting millions of people walk across our border because it's part of their plan to change our country. So after a lot of pressure, Governor Abbott comes out and says, I, he didn't say he's declaring an invasion. He hates that word. It's very clear that he's trying to avoid it as much as possible. But he invoked the Texas Constitution to declare these new actions he was going to take. So Article 1, Section 10, and blah, blah, And everyone's going, oh, this is like an invasion declaration. And unfortunately, several media outlets, even even including conservative outlets like the Daily Wire, carries this and acts like Abbott's doing all this cool stuff. But ultimately what he announced is that when they apprehend illegals, Texas is now going to take them to the the entry point, the port of entry, and release them there, okay? So back up, I've been pretty critical of the fact that one of Abbott's um, show charades that he announced was busing illegals to Washington, D.C., okay? So he comes out and he gets a bunch of headlines and the Republicans are like, oh, he's trying to do something about this. When he comes out and says, hey, don't worry, when when people are invading our state, we're gonna stick them on a bus and we're gonna take them to D.C. And he's taking like 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, I don't know, 1,200, I don't know the exact number, but the point is he has taken a number of illegals to D.C. Now, consider this. However many people he bust to D.C. since he's announced that, I mean, that many people cross the Texas-Mexico border in a couple hours, maybe an hour. So it is so unserious of a plan that it's an insult to Texans who are in the process of being invaded. So he then announces, because of the Constitution and because Joe Biden's failing us, I will take illegals and I'll put them at the port of entry. Now, what he didn't really clarify was the fact that I'm just dropping them off on the Texas side. And what Ken Cuccinelli, the Center for Renewing America, basically came out and said is, all they're going you're catching them, you're taking them, and then they're walking further north. And Center for Renewing America came out and said, we acknowledge Governor Abbott's recognition that the facts on the ground along the border comport with the Constitution's understanding of an invasion. So they said, hey, he kind of references this constitutional provision of an invasion that he's clearly recognizing maybe applies to this state. However, the governor does not appear to formally declare an invasion, no, nor direct the National Guard and Department of Public Safety to remove illegals across the border directly to Mexico. This is critical. Otherwise, this is still catch and release. So what Governor Abbott has announced, if you've seen any of the headlines out there, is essentially I'm going to catch them and then I'm going to take them to the Texas side of the border and drop them off there. At which point they're just going to continue to invade our our state and our nation. So that's an unfortunate reality. We will probably talk more about this immigration policy as time goes on. But I just wanted to give you all an update, especially if you were reading some of the misleading headlines out there about Governor Abbott's actions. So let's talk about the Texas Freedom Caucus. I have a couple things that I think are important uh, to consider for the caucus when they go into 2023. And I'm going to lay them out and give kind of some examples of, of reasons that this should apply. The most important thing 
And I want to uh, just read from the Freedom Caucus's uh, website. On their website, they say uh, that the Texas Freedom Caucus is here to amplify the voice of liberty-minded grassroots Texans. So the idea is that if you are a conservative grassroots Texan, the things you want out of the legislature, they're often not doing. So there are a set group of lawmakers who have said that they are actually going to take your voice and make it louder. They're going to amplify its presence in the legislature. Um, and so uh, to that extent, I want to say, and and I could go into the whole history of the Freedom Caucus and all that. The Freedom Caucus was started uh, by a lot of conservative lawmakers who were also in a uh, a Texas House that was very hostile to conservatives in general. And so uh, under Joe Strauss's leadership, it was incredibly necessary to literally just go to complete outright war. We have different speakers that have come since then. Dennis Bonin, who also um, kind of led over what we would all consider a very purple session, um, but he conducted himself in such a way that he didn't really get pushback, if ever, from the Texas Freedom Caucus. And so, and now you have Dade Phelan, who has allowed more Republican priorities to advance and has also very clearly opposed others pretty strongly. And so now we're in a situation where you say, how does one amplify the voice within that arena? Here's one thing I think really needs to be considered as we move forward. I think the Freedom Caucus should limit the ability for their name to be used to defend rhinos. Um, and what do I mean by that? So again, we talk about individual members. Sometimes individual members will do something. And and I made a point at the beginning that Mays Middleton spent a lot of money and effort in some of these contested Republican primaries trying to help advance the more conservative alternative. Many times uh, candidates that I support, candidates that other people I work with support. So that's all very helpful. But also not only individual members, but the Texas Freedom Caucus name was used to defend some very liberal Republicans. And the most perfect example of that being Glenn Rogers. Glenn Rogers is a very liberal Republican. He is somebody who was staunchly opposed by school choice forces. He was staunchly opposed by Honestly, what we would consider kind of a perfect coalition of conservative uh, organizations. So in every primary, you don't always have Texas Right to Life and Abolish Abortion Texas and Homeschool Coalition and Defend Texas Liberty and all Young Conservatives of Texas, all of these conservative organizations uniting. Sometimes just one or two have a problem with the incumbent and some don't. But in this situation, you literally had conservatives united all behind one candidate, the more conservative gun groups and all of that. So they're all working and Glenn Rogers ends up getting reelected by less than 400 votes. This is a 1% margin election. And I will tell you, in my opinion, one of the, it, I would I would probably tell you just from having had conversations with a lot of people in Parker County, the most powerful piece of direct mail that Glenn Rogers sent in his entire election was a letter written by Representative Matt Schaefer, somebody who I consider a conservative, uh, somebody who fights for conservative policies many times, somebody who even uh, has criticized the governor and others at times. But he sent a letter in there, and I'm just going to show this to you. And, and for those of you who are listening, we're going to just read a couple little excerpts of this letter. You can go to the show notes if you actually want to uh, read the entire thing because I don't have time to do that. But here's the important thing that I think is uh, is important to take away from this. So this is a Freedom Caucus member going in to defend one of the more liberal Republicans who is in a position where he's very vulnerable and likely to lose his primary and coming in and uh, 
putting his name to this message. He calls him a staunch Second Amendment advocate. He talks about these issues with constitutional carry. These were votes that Glenn Rogers had taken that he was being criticized uh, for by the more conservative gun groups than the NRA. But here's the thing I think is important uh, to recognize. He says, a little more background. So the idea is that Representative Schaefer at this time is saying, I'm going to be here to defend this person you've heard is a more liberal Republican. So I want to boost my authority to tell you that he is not as bad as conservatives are saying he is, right? I'm a 20 plus year U.S. Navy Reserve officer, including a tour in Afghanistan in the Texas House. I am the vice chairman of the Freedom Caucus and was the founding chairman. So I could go into this whole letter and there's no reason to. The important thing is I think that I'm almost wondering if the Freedom Caucus needs to like do a bylaws change that tells individual members, if you're going to go in and endorse a particular member of the Texas House or defend them or, you know, sign off on powerful campaign materials used to keep them in power, then you should not use the name the Texas Freedom Caucus. Because what that then does is it weaponizes this brand to instead of being used as a voice to amplify the grassroots, it's used as a shield to defend people who are being uh, attacked by an entire coalition of conservative grassroots people. So I think that there has to be a consideration by the Freedom Caucus at some point to consider maybe a bylaws change is my thought is, is something that says, hey, let's make sure that individual members can go out and say, I'm a conservative Republican and here's all the reasons and I served in the Navy and I love the Lord and, but not come in here and say, hey, Texas Freedom Caucus, and then use that to defend these really liberal members who sometimes barely hold on to their power and make it even harder for now the grassroots to pass conservative priorities out of the legislature. Here's the second thing I think needs to be considered. And this is also just a really good rule for all of you conservative activists out there. Only defend GOP colleagues publicly who you're willing to fairly criticize with equal clarity. Now, there is a rule, a horrific rule that the Texas House tries to drill into members. They say, privately criticize, publicly praise. And this is a rule that they try to catechize members of the legislature into. It is a mindset that empowers those individuals who will use the legislative process to kill conservative Republican priorities. Because if you're not going to ever publicly criticize me and you will publicly praise me, then I get all of the benefit and none of the ammunition that might be used against me if I don't align with the people back at home. And the only way that the people back at home would have a harder time knowing if I align with them is if all the people that are here in the room when all these decisions are getting made, make sure to never criticize me publicly. I can wash my hands of these things privately. So what they'll tell members of the Texas House, and this is members across the political spectrum, they'll say, hey, if you have a problem with somebody, something that somebody's doing, go and tell them, go and meet with them, go to their office, but don't say it. Okay. And here's the example I'm going to use. Um, Representative Dustin Burroughs, the chairman of the calendars committee with the entire Republican uh, makeup of the calendars committee killed, they worked and they probably put the nail in the coffin uh, to kill 
the ban on gender modification. This remains a Republican priority, definitely an issue that is of utmost importance and an issue where both pieces of legislation that we're going to address it were carried by Freedom Caucus members, Steve Toth and Matt Krause, which again is worth acknowledging the fact that these individual members are working to advance this policy. That being said, while Dustin Burroughs was killing it, uh, a controversy arose. Sid Miller cut a radio ad where he went in and said, the calendars committee is slow rolling this bill. And this ad started as soon as the calendars committee got the bill. Now, why did it take so long for the calendars committee to get the bill? Uh, well, you can look at Stephanie Click for that. Uh, a member who also slow rolled the legislation uh, quite significantly. But by the time it got to calendars committee, it was very apparent that this bill needed to move very, very quickly. So Sid Miller cut a radio ad where he actually went out and said, hey, Dustin Burroughs, and this is in Lubbock, he is saying, guys, Dustin Burroughs is killing this piece of legislation. And at the time, Matt Krause came out and said, this below frustrates me, talking about the article written in the national file about Sid Miller's radio ad. Sid Miller's on the radio saying, guys, kids can get sex change surgeries in Texas, and that's legal because Dustin Burroughs is sitting on the bill. And he says, I appreciate folks advocating for good policies, especially when it is my bill, but I don't like misinformation. HB 1399 just got into calendars last night. There's no slow walking here. Burroughs and committee literally just got it. So this is the last thing during the entire session that Matt Krause said on 1399 about the calendars committee. Okay. It's the last thing. Now, here's what we all know now. We know that the calendars committee was sitting on it at the time because, you know, Krause's argument was they, they're not slow walking it. They're not sitting on it because they just got it. Okay. If I get it and sit on it, I'm sitting on it as soon as I sit down. Now, what we now know, if the, if the committee had moved the bill out, let's say in a couple of days or, you know, three or four days, Matt Krause would have then been justified in this statement. In fact, he would have been correct in this statement to say, hey, these people are coming out. They're not sitting on it. See, it's just a, the process has to take place. But instead, this committee sat on this until the very last day. And then, and remember, the committee itself, including the Republicans, they get to decide where that bill goes in the order of the day. So they not only put it on the last day, but they put it at the very bottom. They killed the bill. They literally put it to where the legislature would never vote on it. They know what they're doing. They're smart. And they put the bill somewhere on the calendar where they would never have to vote on it. And the bill died. The bill died by Republicans. Republicans killed the bill. This individual member and his committee killed the bill. The one that Matt Krause said, I have to come out and defend these people. And if you want to know, well, did they think he was defending them? It's important to recognize the fact that the people who liked that tweet when he put it out, what included Representative Tom Oliverson, Representative Shelby Slauson, who serves on the calendars committee, one of the members who voted to have it so far down on the calendar, uh, um, Luis Sines, who is the chief of staff of Governor Abbott, liked that tweet, as well as Representative James Frank, who's another chairman under uh, Dade Phelan. So this is the leadership team of the Texas House saying, yes, yes, we agree. These horrible conservatives who are falsely attacking us. So they are liking Representative Krause's position that says, I can't believe these conservatives are attacking this member. I have to come out and write the wrong narrative. Now, it's okay. Different members of the body 
act differently. Okay. And, uh, there's uh, in, in the church, the theology of the church, we kind of understand that each member of the body is a little different. And so the same thing applies within the political realm, meaning you will have certain members of the legislature that just act differently and operate differently. And that's not inherently a bad thing. It's not inherently bad to say, Hey, I approach things differently. John Adams approached things differently than Benjamin Franklin. Okay. What often happens, and Benjamin Franklin, Franklin, let's consider him like a more likable person who's still advocating for independence, but he gets along with more people and does that. John Adams, a little more cantankerous, a little more in your face, a little more willing to go have a street brawl. And so as you can imagine, these two people are both necessary for advancing any particular issue. Well, in this instance, Matt Krause is coming out saying, hey, I'm going to defend these people. Now, that is not inherently wrong. And there are some people who would disagree with me and say, no, you can never do that. Absolutely. I don't think that's true. But I would say, to go back to my point, defend GOP colleagues publicly who you're willing to fairly criticize with equal clarity. Because otherwise, you're able to, again, be used by Republican leadership to literally confuse Texas voters. If I'm a Texas voter in Lubbock, I'm like, did he kill it? Did he not? He said the author of the bill, a member of the Texas Freedom Caucus says, I didn't slow walk the bill. So if that's the last thing that person said, then you now again have handed the Texas Freedom Caucus and yourself as an individual to them to use as a shield against criticism from the right. That's an unfortunate thing, and I think it's something that we all have to think about when we engage with various different officials. But for the Texas Freedom Caucus, I think that it's clear that the more leadership can get them to do things like this in 2023, the more they will. So that's an important thing to kind of figure out. Uh, the third issue is I'm going to say that the Freedom Caucus should be careful uh, let me just say this way. They should refuse to allow their legislation to ever be weaponized against the grassroots. And I've talked about this issue a little bit. Um, again, this is an individual member. Cody Vasut, who is a new member, had a bill that was designed to force the state party chair to resign his office if he was going to run for uh, another office. And this was being pushed heavily by uh, Governor Greg Abbott, who was trying to make sure that Alan West, who is a grassroots candidate, if he was going to run against him, would not be able to serve as state party chairman at the same time. And so that bill ended up getting hijacked by Republican leadership and I believe Greg Abbott's office to target um, conservatives. And I'm just going to read from an article that the Texan wrote uh, at that same time. It says, HB 1987 became the beneficiary of vehement fury when the conference committee report was blasted out into the ether. It featured substantial changes from its original purpose of preventing state party officials from running for another office during the state's party term. The most notable of those provisions is a requirement that the state party chair, vice chair, and executive committee all be elected from the primary ballot. Currently, those positions are elected at each party state convention by delegates, not voters at large. Now, Oh, the other kicker is that that provision is going to only apply to the Republican Party of Texas and not the Democrat Party or any other statewide political party. So here's what's crazy. I mean, the Republican Party of Texas had to put out a statement condemning that bill and the grassroots did too. And the Texas Senate stood up and said, absolutely no way this is going to go anywhere. Conservatives in the House were throwing a fit over this. 
And those provisions ended up getting stripped out. I talked to you about how successful the Republican state convention was. And one of the things that came out of that was a lot of successful elections by SRE to the SREC, meaning conservatives were elected to the SREC. Here's what you have to know, that the political class, the elected class, the Republican establishment, the rhinos in Austin hate the party in general. And they don't like the fact that anywhere from four to 10,000 really conservative Texans can get together at this state convention and elect a leadership that isn't going to simply, again, publicly praise us and privately criticize us. And so they saw this as a vehicle and an opportunity to do this. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that the Freedom Caucus itself sat down and schemed on how they could turn this bill into it, but Cody Vasut is a very respected member of the Texas House and a member of the Texas Freedom Caucus. And the Freedom Caucus never opposed that bill either. They never publicly said that that was a bad bill. They never said that we stand with the grassroots. We do not like this provision. And so that's the sad thing when I just think there could be a general rule. And again, I don't think this is a bylaws deal or whatever, but I'm just saying, if you're a Texas Freedom Caucus member, you need to sit down and go, when we go into 2023, we should refuse to let any of our legislation be weaponized against grassroots Texans. It doesn't mean that every bill you file has to be super conservative. It doesn't mean that you can never file a bill that maybe conservatives disagree with. That's your own individual right. You're an individual member elected by an individual district. You represent those people. They have various views. Do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to caucus, if you're going to put yourself within a faction that says we're here to amplify the voice of grassroots Texans, then just say we probably should never let any of our bills be used and as weapons against those same people that we're trying to amplify. It's kind of the opposite. So I think that's just a general good rule. It would be great if next session, no story like this ever gets written by any publication that has to say this member of the Texas Freedom Caucus has a bill that is targeting the grassroots, right? And there's going to be a whole lot of confusion within grassroots Texans to say, how, how much can I work with this organization as members who are trying to take away my voice? It's the opposite. Don't allow, and this is the um, kind of final point. Don't allow the least conservative members to dictate the group in the name of unity. Okay. Now let's just be clear. There is not a single member of the Texas Freedom Caucus who is not a conservative individual. Now, some of you would say, Luke, you're wrong. And I just, I'd, I would look at their voting records and say, yes, if you're in the top third of the Republican caucus, okay, if you're amongst the 20 to 30 most conservative lawmakers, I would say that more often than not, it means you have a generally conservative voting record. Okay. That's just a kind of a general rule of thumb. It doesn't mean you, you can't take really bad votes and that those really bad votes are not against your Republican voters' views and that that can't even, you know, reap consequences. So, but it's just to say that the members of the Freedom Caucus are conservative. There are uh, spectrums though, right? On the Supreme Court, we have Clarence Thomas, who is the most conservative. And then you have Brett Kavanaugh, who did overturn Roe v. Wade, but is most definitely the least conservative of those five members and has made it painstakingly clear that he doesn't want Roe v. Wade's overturn to lead to overturning of other bad precedents in many other instances. So there are spectrums, okay? I'm going to tell you all a story uh, that will kind of, you know, kind of provide uh, a perspective in this. So you have members of the Freedom Caucus, again, that I've got a good relationship that I could talk to at any point in time. And Good people. Again, we don't always agree, but I don't agree with a lot of other members of the Texas House or the Texas Senate or trade associations or anything else. You have to work with people that you disagree with, and it's okay. 
It's a good thing to do. That being said, um, at the last Republican state convention, I uh, walked into the uh, VIP room, okay? And so I work alongside several organizations that were big sponsors of the convention, helped raise money for the Republican Party. And so I had a VIP badge. And I walked in with a number of other lawmakers and standing there was Representative Jared Patterson, who's not a Freedom Caucus member, and Representative Matt Shaheen, okay? And I walked in and uh, Jared said, who the expletive let Macias in this room? And uh, it was kind of a funny instance. So he says, who the expletive let Macias in this room? And he's like, I'm not staying here. So he marches out. And then Representative Matt Shaheen, Freedom Caucus member, says, I'm out of here too. I think he, if I recall, because he was like right in front of me, he said, I think he said, the temperature in this room is too high or something. It was like a, a derogatory term about like, the entrance of these people have made this room unbearable. I'm out. So they march out. And then like a couple minutes later, uh, a uh, an individual, uh, James Dickey, who was the former chairman, who was there kind of outside the VIP room letting people in and out, they go up to him and evidently complain. And I don't know if Shaheen complained. It might have just been Jared Patterson that complained. Uh, but he and Shaheen both kind of marched out together. So he comes in and he's like looking at my badge. He's trying to verify that I, how I obtained this badge. Very strange kind of interaction to be completely honest. And, um, but it was fine. It goes to show though, that there are varying degrees of hostility that different members in the Freedom Caucus have towards grassroots Texans. That's just the truth. There are. Okay. And there are freedom. And, and so this isn't based on Luke Macias or any other particular individual. I'm just telling you in general, if I talk to grassroots Republican precinct chairman, they will tell you, uh, hey, or SREC members that serve uh, on the board of the party, they will tell you these members of the free. I'm not going to name every name or anything like that. They'll tell you these members of the Freedom Caucus I can call, I can talk to, we can figure out. Here's the, and then there's these others that it's just hard to talk to. I can't do anything or whatever. Here's my biggest point is that there's going to be times next session that you will do things as individual members and as a caucus and as conservatives that aren't do not sit comfortably with the more the less conservative members in the caucus. And I think it's really important for the Freedom Caucus to kind of take that into consideration. How does that work? I was talking to uh, several people that I know were commenting on other freedom caucuses. And I've actually talked to other people in other states with other freedom caucuses. And one of the things that I've consistently heard, and this is from literally like other state reps in other states, is they've said, you know, e the, the bigger the freedom caucus becomes, the weaker it becomes. That's actually kind of one thing that I think uh, is important to recognize because the bigger the group, the easier it is for leadership to just get enough of those members to kind of pull the group into a more agreeable position. And so the smaller the group is, often the more agile and able to make the right determinations they are, okay? Um, there's other things that kind of go into this whole slew, and this is just a couple top uh, rules that I think should be considered. Why does this matter? It matters because we're going to go into a legislative session where Dan Patrick in the Texas Senate, and he said this at the convention, he said, we're going to pass these Republican priorities quickly and we're going to prioritize them and we're going to make sure that they actually try to become law. But in order to do so, the Texas House is going to have to move them. And 
in order for the Texas House to move them, the conservative Republicans within the Texas House are going to have to push even harder than they have before because Dade Phelan is most certainly more antagonistic than he ever has been before to conservative legislation. He's not been supportive and he has worked with his legislative leadership team and Stephanie Click and Dustin Burroughs to kill bans on gender modification. Last session, he could easily do that. This session, if he doesn't think, if he thinks St Stephanie Click is less agreeable to playing the role that she played last time, then he could replace her on the public health committee at any time. Um, he's in a position on that issue when it comes to Disney. He's come out and said, hey, Dan Patrick and Ron DeSantis and these other people have said we need to stop funding these woke corporations, either through our pension funds, buying all their stocks, or through special giveaways that we give to various corporations that literally hate our state and hate our values. And he's came out and said, I don't like that idea. I don't want to push that. I don't want to do this. These are the type of policies where you need conservatives, not just the Texas Freedom Caucus, but let's say the conservative half of the caucus needs to unite as much as possible to push these Republican priorities. And when they do that, you see that often the speaker will eventually relent. Okay. Um, but because we're moving into a legislative session, that's probably going to be pretty contentious. If conservatives on the house side are not pushing even harder, you're going to see even more Republican policy die. And no one wants to see that. Greg Abbott has not been known to push the house very hard. And the reason is, is because he often uses them to kill bills that he doesn't want to have to take a position on. So again, I think that's why it's important to come uh, about this now. I did it also now because we are five months away from, all right, what, what even is it? Six months away from a legislative session starting? I'm not even, I'm kind of busy. Okay. I'm not thinking about the timeline, but I guess, you know, we're in July. It's going to start in January. So um, we're far enough away from the legislative session where this is the time that conservatives should be having conversations like this and talking about this. I didn't want to ask a Freedom Caucus member to come on and be grilled and answer questions about any of this stuff. That's not what this is about. This is just about understanding there are some things that need to change because if we go into 2023 and have... And, and some of these changes haven't been made. It's going to be a problem. But if we're in 2024 and letters are going out that said, I'm a Texas Freedom Caucus member. I'm a founder of the organization. I'm the previous chair. And I'm telling you, this rhino is really a staunch advocate for your rights. That is a problem. It's not a good thing. And so hopefully some changes can be made that make these type of things less likely to happen. And if they are, then conservatives will be in a much better position to be more unified as we continue to advocate for the conservative agenda we know Texas needs to prosper. I hope you all have a great week. Thank you for listening. If you haven't rated the podcast recently, of course, we say it in our outro, but I like to say it here sometimes. Just rate the podcast, send it to some of your friends who are conservative Texans. We are getting continually very positive feedback from across the state from people who are coming to our show to know what direction is Texas going? What is happening? What is happening inside? What's really going on? And that's the type of information we want to bring to you with a unique perspective um, as somebody who's witnessed so much of what happens in Texas conservative politics. Thank you for your time. Thank you for following. Thank you for spreading the word. God bless you and God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messias show. This program is brought to you by scorecard media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things. Texas scorecard media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. 
Honestly, though, visit TexasScorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.